Just when I guessed you could not sink any lower, you're listening to the Rish Outcast. Well, you've kind of made your bed, haven't you? Everybody loves to loop us. Everybody loves them now. If you want to have chalupas, I'm the one to show you how. Chalupas, my good chalupas, they taste so fine and they are mine. Chalupas, chalupas. I think I have done more Chalupa songs since I said, okay, I'm not going to do any more Chalupa songs than I did the first year of Chalupa songs. But oh well. This is Rish Outfield, and this is the Rish Outcast. And I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I have no idea when this episode is going to drop. We've reached the part of the drive where the road is uh, like a, a washboard. Although washboards are archaic, they're a, a remnant of a past culture, like the telegraph. And so I'm going to say uh, the roads are like like the abs of a hip-hop artist. So I'm driving home from the cabin, or I was until uh, these two ATVs in front of me, they appear to be stopping. Do I, do I dare go around? I'm just not going to go. Okay, last week when I was coming home from the cabin, I recorded an episode. It was about, I had challenged myself this month to write a quote-unquote good story. And I had an hour drive, like I do today. Uh, So I just, I sort of brainstormed this idea that had come to me the day before or the day before that, and just sort of spoke through it to the end of the story. And a couple of days after that, I finished the novella that I was working on. And so I started working on that story and uh, I was, I wrote on it today, but it, it occurred to me that, well, you know, if you write a story, why would anybody want to hear your brainstorming session where you say, and then this could happen. Oh, and then this happens. And then this, and you go all the way to the end. When Big and I did our Gosh, what did we call it? It was like a story generating session uh, when we were coming home from Las Vegas one year. When we did that, we were just bouncing ideas back and forth from this premise that I had. And it didn't, I'm not going to say it didn't go anywhere, but we didn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end as concretely as I did last week with that episode. And so when I eventually uh, wrote that story called A Mark on the Sky, and I eventually put it out there, I would think that anybody who listened to that That Gets My Goat episode, they would appreciate the story more, uh, the novella, more knowing where it came from, knowing which bit was based on something that actually happened to me, ideas that we bounced off one another until we got to the point of, you know, what if it's an old person instead of a young person, etc., etc. The only person that shouldn't enjoy it is Big Anklevich. 
Although I still gave him story credit. But this, this episode that I recorded last week, that is different. Because I just made up the story as I went along, step by step. And the story that I'm writing now is, is that story. I don't imagine that there will be any surprises, any spanners thrown in the works. I haven't gone back to that episode to compare dialogue or any of that stuff. So the details will be different, but the general story, the plot is all the same. I just can't imagine somebody would enjoy listening to that. So I worry, should I bother releasing it? Should I just let it be an artifact that I have? I have several, by the way. It's something that I have always found works for me, speaking aloud. I think I remember hitting this road one time, like the first time I ever came out here by myself, and I thought, oh my goodness, I've, I've got a low tire or a flat tire because this road is, you know, the noise. And I pulled over and there was nothing wrong with my tire. It was just a bad road. <laughs> okay. I find that it helps me to think aloud, to speak aloud, to brainstorm aloud. I don't know. I guess I'm schizophrenic enough that when I speak aloud, part of my brain says, that's somebody else talking. I, it's hard to explain. But it's very helpful in writing with me, and I have done it multiple, multiple times. I remember the last time that I went to San Diego Comic-Con, I parked so far away that I couldn't find my car when it was the end of the night and it was time to go back to the car. And this wasn't the first, second, or third time that this has happened. And so every time I went, I almost said go, but I don't go to San Diego Comic-Con anymore. Every time I went to San Diego Comic-Con, I would bring my... At first, it was an MP3 player, and now it's a smartphone uh, with me. And I would speak into it and say, I am parked on the intersection of this and this. It's so useful at the end of the night when you're trying to find your car. You think you'll be able to remember where it is. But a lot of times I can't remember where it is. I am so bad with directions, you wouldn't believe it. I think about a year of my life has been taken up with being lost and trying to find my way. If I had all the times that I was lost back. So I was looking for where I parked, but it was so far away that none of the streets were familiar. None of the streets were the ones that I usually took. And so I couldn't find either of the streets. I had my smartphone out and I just brainstormed the calling reunion into it. And, you know, and then this could happen. And then January says, let's go into a bar. And Joshua is just like, really a bar? And she's like, yeah, I mean, you said you wanted to do some arm wrestling. And so that was really useful to me. It helped me finish that book because I got the momentum going again on it. I have many, many recordings. And a lot of them are lost now, too. But I, I still have many recordings of when I would brainstorm stories. And I wish that I did it more often. 
to be honest, because whenever I got writer's blocked or, you know, I, I'd finished a project and it's like, now what do I go on to? It would be neat to just play one of those recordings and be like, okay, that's my next project. But I digress. So this, this drive here, there's, there's got to be something that I want to talk about, something that I'm, I feel strongly enough about to release an episode over. And I guess what I'll talk about is inspiration and how that works uh, as a creative person. So as I was saying, in this month, one of my goals is to write a good story. And I just made quotes in the air, but it's not a video podcast, so I have no idea why I did that. But what makes a good story? What determines whether a story was is good or not? And, you know, I think there are probably several factors. An engaging plot, characters that you like or really dislike and want to see get their comeuppance, clever dialogue, you know, funny dialogue. In, in the case of, like, horror, a scenario that is scary, that people can appreciate on a visceral level. Perhaps you have an ending that's really solid and you're working toward that ending. Conversely, I suppose you have a really striking opening scene that's compelling enough to get people to, to read it beyond the... Uh, there, there are many elements, emotional elements, dramatic elements. And I've written a lot of stories, but not all of them have been good stories. The question that I've asked with Big Anklevich before on our show was, how do you know, you know, if it's a good story? How do you know if it's a good idea? And in my experience, you don't always know. You could be surprised. The, the example that comes to mind is I wrote a story called Murder Maze last year, and I thought it was really neat because I was stuck somewhere. I couldn't go anywhere, and I was really cold, and I just came up with a story a beginning, middle, and end, and I wrote that story a week later or so, and I was proud of myself because I had made good use of time when I would otherwise have been bored, and ultimately it wasn't a good story. But conversely, uh, just this year I released an episode for a story that I wrote in, in 2000 called Try Your Luck, which I thought wasn't very good, and when I put it out 20 years later, I thought, you know, that was good. So sometimes you don't know. But a lot of times you feel motivated to write it. You feel like, oh, this has the potential to be really good, or this feels inspired, or this feels like a story or film that I would go to, that I would read as a consumer. I've heard many filmmakers talk that a lot of the films that they make are movies that they would like to see in a theater, but nobody else is making them, so they make that movie. I think that's neat. I wish that I had more uh, really creative friends and that I could ask them their opinion on stuff like that. But even without, it's an uphill climb 
to do something creative. Let me rephrase, to complete something creative, to get to the end, a finished product of something creative, and you need to believe in your project. You need to believe that it is worth doing. It is worth the many hours of time that is consumed by doing it. If you're writing for somebody else, if you're writing for a paycheck, if you're you know, working for someone, then it's not just you. Then you have expectations, then you have notes that are being given you, you have deadlines, you have a paycheck at the end, and that is motivating. That's really good to have that. But when it's just you, when you're writing on spec or you're, 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 you're writing for yourself, ultimately it is you that has to push you. It is you that has to say, this is worth doing. This is worth losing some television time for, or sleep time, or farting around time, you know? And like I said about Murder Maze, you don't know always whether it is worth doing or not when you get to the finished product. I guess you have to ask yourself, was it worth doing if you don't like the finished product, if you don't think that it was very good? And I don't know. That's something that only you can decide. And maybe you've read Murder Maze and you go, eh, that was pretty good. That story ended with some unresolved plot lines. And I felt like that's where I wanted it to end because that's what I had come up with on the night. And because it was not well received, I felt like that story was a failure. But the next story that I wrote or started after that one, I implemented what I learned in Murder Maze. The next story after that that I started was something called Comes the Podcatcher, or just Podcatcher. And it was intended to end in a very similar way as Murder Maze. It was an unhappy ending. You know, it, it had a Twilight Zone type ending with a twist that I thought was fairly clever. But because of the reaction to the story that I wrote before that, I thought about it extra hard and thought about, well, what if the story doesn't end there? How could I make the story more satisfying? How could I make there be an ending that works better? How can I include that twist, the Twilight Zone ending twist, and then continue the story after that? This was some interesting... This was an interesting... But because of the experience with Murder Maze, I worked extra hard on Podcatcher, and it ended up being, well, twice the length that it was going to be, because the... Uh, the, the twist and the, the big dun, 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 the end reveal uh, happens in the middle of the story instead of as the, the finale of the story. So I guess what I'm saying is that even though I thought that I had written a bad story, it helped me. It taught me something. It, it made me look at my next one with different 
with a different lens and improve my next one. Now, that's something that Dean Wesley Smith used to say in those, uh, gosh, what was it called? Like killing the sacred cows of publishing uh, blog posts that he would do and then eventually turned into a book. He would say, you know, when you get notes on your story, uh, don't rewrite your story. Uh, he would say when you, you finish a story, you put it out there and, and people don't buy it, don't waste your time rewriting that story. Write a new story that implements what you did wrong with the last story. If people said, you know, I, we're not uh, accepting it for publication because of this, because the characters are bland, or because the pacing is too slow, don't rewrite that story to make the characters more dynamic. Don't rewrite that story to make the pacing faster. Write a new story where you focus on making the characters dynamic. Focus on making the pace brisker. It's something that he said uh, and that Big Inklevich repeats a bunch of times, and now I repeat a bunch of times. It's the gospel according to Dean Wesley Smith. And I guess here I am saying he's right. Although, you know, in the back of my mind, I always thought, well, maybe I should go back to Murder Maze and fix it. Write a satisfactory ending, a confrontation with the, the, the murderer kind of thing. And I, I never did. At this point, I probably never will, but, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. With the script that I wrote this year, and uh, I was writing for some producers, and they paid me for it, I wrote a proposal to them of what I was thinking the, the story should be. And then in the months that I waited to hear back from them, because, you know, the, the world ended for a little while, I just sat down and I wrote that proposal into a short story. And for some reason, I wanted to send it to Marshall Latham because I thought he would like it. I thought he would respond to it and it would fit really well on his show. But then eventually I did hear back from them. They gave me some notes and we changed this and that. Uh, and I sent them a script that was different than the short story that I wrote because I had incorporated their notes. And then they sent me notes back on that and we changed more things. Ultimately, there were three drafts, and by the third draft, the plot is still the same, but the details have changed. I'd say about two-thirds of the dialogue is different, and the character dynamic is different. And the third draft, so this is what I'm getting at, the third draft of the script is better than the first draft was. And that short story that I wrote it predated the first draft. The first draft was a, an adaptation of that short story. So now I think about that short story. It's called The Comics Trip. That's a little play on words there. And I never did send it to Marshall Latham. I guess I still could. If he's interested, I will send it his way. But there were two more drafts of the script after that story and I wonder, is the, the prose version of Comics Trip still good? Is it still 
valid. If if Marshall ran that story on his podcast, would I be okay with it? Or would I be like, well, but all these new aspects from the third draft would make that short story so much better. This is a rhetorical question because I, I have no idea. I think that, yes, I would be bothered by, oh, you know, there's a really, really good line that I came up with right there in the second draft. Or there's a twist in the third draft based on a misunderstanding one of the producers had on the first draft. I, I guess he just didn't read it closely enough. Or maybe it had been too long since he read it before we had our, our meeting. And when it was time for the final draft, I thought, you know what? I liked his idea. I, that's not what I wrote. But let me try it with that idea. And I think it made the story better. The question is, was the first draft of Comics Trip good? And I, th I think that it was. Was the second draft better? Yes, it was. Was the third draft better than the second draft? Yes, it was. So I guess if I were super ambitious or just wanted to, I could take that third draft and do a prose version of that. And that's what I could send to Marshall Latham in his fine podcast. The problem is that contractually I can't do that right now. I have a contract with the producers that they own the story and the plot and all that for a year. So they don't own it. They have an option. And if it is not produced within a year, then the rights revert back to me. And so, well, a year goes by in a, a New York minute, guys. It'll be 2025 in, oh my gosh, really? Tomorrow? And so I can do whatever I want with that story. The, the best outcome, the best possible outcome would be that my third draft gets produced and it is well received and I get way more work from it and I get to work more on this television show and do more creative projects like this and I publish my short story or put it out on podcasts or whatever. In addition to it, that's something that Dean Wesley Smith also used to say is that you can sell the foreign rights. It's not just foreign rights. You can sell the rights in Mexico. You can sell the rights in the UK. You can sell the rights in Russia. You can sell the right, you know, you can sell the audio rights. You can sell the same story over and over and over again. And eventually the rights revert back to you and you can do it again. He makes it sound like bliss. Smith does. He he called it like the magical apple pie or, 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 or something, some kind of pie. And it was it, it was magical in that you can sell off the slices of the pie and they they spontaneously regenerate after time. That's something I, I had a film professor and he talked about being a professional screenwriter, and he said, I, I, it was probably the first day or the second day of screenwriting 301, I think was the class, or 350. It was advanced screenwriting. And he said on the very first day, if you look me up, my filmography, you're not going to really find anything. 
so you ask yourself, well, how am how is this guy a professional screenwriter? And he said, options. I have written eight scripts and optioned six of them to Hollywood, to various production companies, one to DreamWorks, one to Savoy Entertainment, and the movies never get made. And I guess that's a bummer, but the money still spends just the same. And after a few years, the option reverts back to me and I can sell it again. And I have said uh, I was able to make a, a house payment just this month on one of the minor studios re-upping the option, renewing the option. They hadn't been able to make it in the four years that, whatever, however long, in the four years that they had to do it. And so they wanted to re-up for two more years. And I said, sure. And I didn't have to do anything, but I got a new check. He described that to me and it sounded neat because money sounded neat, but it was not the same as having one of his films produced. Just yesterday, I recorded a story for the Doonstief written by Rob Broughton. Oh, it's already been Broughton. Who is undoubtedly listening right now. Hey, Rob. It was a really good story, and eventually Big and I are going to do a Doonstief episode about it, probably really soon. I started editing it today, but I only made it about five minutes in because there was a word I couldn't pronounce. I was up at the cabin. There was no way to look it up. And so I just stopped. I was like, well, uh, I'll just wait. I'll go on to a different project. But his story was so tight and, I'm going to use this word again, Big hates this word because it's a news word, compelling, that I thought, dang, man, there's a new Twilight Zone show out on the CBS All Access or whatever that is, and somebody ought to option this story for the new Twilight Zone because it's perfect for it. It just, the way that the story was structured, it feels like a Twilight Zone episode. Really, really good. And that's high praise, guys. I love the Twilight Zone. And anyway, when Big and I talk about it, uh, which has already come and gone uh, for you guys, because I'm just not fast enough with the Rish Outcast to get this episode out before that Steve episode is out. But when we get together and talk, we'll talk about it and how it felt like a Twilight Zone. There's nothing better for me than when something feels like a Twilight Zone. I think it would be great if he could uh, have somebody option that, that kind of thing. I just, I didn't realize that he was so talented. And here's the thing, Rob, maybe you didn't realize that you were so talented. I don't know. I, I don't remember ever reading anything by him before. But here's the question. And of course, you can't answer, Rob, because you may not exist. I don't know. He's an AI in some lab somewhere at Caltech. But when he was writing that story, let's see, what it's called Service with a Smile. So if you want to go over to the Doonstief and listen to Service with a Smile, you'll know what I'm talking about. When you were writing that story, did you think, oh, this one is really good. Or are you just a journeyman? You just write. And in the end, you're like me. You don't know if it was really good. Or you just go on to the next project. If you're like me, you go on to the next project and nobody ever reads the project that you just finished. 
I'm working on that. I'm, I, I'm doing a little bit better than I used to do, uh, but it's still a major flaw in my makeup. I got a lot of flaws, kids. All the king's horses and all of the king's men couldn't put Rich Outfield back together again. If you are a creative person, and I think if you're listening to my show, then you probably are, right? I don't know. Maybe you're not. Maybe you just go, hey, I really like the way that Rish talks. And I like when he does self-deprecating humor in the voice of an elderly Scotsman. But if you're a creative person, you need to push yourself and keep working on projects until a good one comes along. I, I have a lot of friends, and I, when I say friends, I mean the Facebook kind, who are authors, who are writers. And there are some that are always talking about, I sold a story to this magazine, this podcast is producing something that I wrote, I slept with three Asian women last night, paid off my house, sun is shining outside. And then I also have writer friends who, they don't post stuff like that. They say that they finished a project or they just started on a project or feeling writer's block right now, feeling discouraged right now. Both of them have to keep going, have to keep trying, keep working. You've got to keep submitting your stuff. Do as I say, not as I do. you got to keep putting it out there. You never know when somebody is going to say, oh, I liked that. I like this ship. That's exciting. Somebody is going to pick up on something that you wrote and it's going to speak to them. And maybe they will contact you and let you know how much they enjoyed it and that will make your day. Maybe they will contact you and let you know that they would like to run it in their magazine or on their website or on their podcast. And that will feel good. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe you get a call and it's Jordan Peele producer of, is he a producer? Is he just the host of the new Twilight Zone? And he would like to adapt your story as an episode. But even if all that stuff doesn't happen, you've got to continue because the next one might be the one where that does happen. You don't always know if it's good or not. If I had given up after I wrote Try Your Luck, and I thought, the girlfriend turns into a Pez dispenser. I am creatively bankrupt. Then I would never have known in 2020 that I liked that story. And I even like that the girlfriend turns into a Pez dispenser. I just like it. I think it's cool. Because nobody else is going to write that. That's something that only I and my diseased mind could have come up with. 20 years it took for me to appreciate that thing that I did. Although, I think at the time, in 2000, I thought that it was good. Uh, it was only later revisiting it that I thought, Ugh. My friend Jeff, and I, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. In summation, Your Honor, my friend Jeff used to always want to read my stories. And he used to say that he was going to be a writer, too. And he did. He did write some, some stories. 
Uh, and he collaborated with me on a couple of screenplays, too, which I thought was very enjoyable. And when I was first writing, he wanted to read everything that I wrote. And I would say, well, I'm not going to give this one to you because it's not good enough. But, you know, maybe the next one, if it is good. And he'd say, no, I want you to send me everything you write. And I will decide if it's good enough. We're going on 30 years since my friend told me that. What a, what a great thing to say to a friend in the form of encouragement. Still, I can't tell you the last time that I sent Jeff a story. Uh, it's been 10 years or more. But when he moved out of his house and he gave away all of his possessions, he gave me a box and it was filled with printouts of my stories. It felt really good that he had kept all this writing of mine all this time. And so I'm going to echo what Jeff said. Write it and put it out there and I'll decide whether it's good enough. Just keep working on, on stuff because eventually something that you write will strike a chord with someone. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be writing. My friend Austin is an artist, but he's so good that I'm sure he gets a ton of attention on almost every single thing that he puts out, but maybe not. Austin seldom felt like it was as good as it was. When he'd show me something, I would be like, holy crap, dude, that is excellent. And he'd be like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to finish it. And he wouldn't. So let that be a lesson to you, too. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Austin couldn't see how good the stuff that he was painting was. So, not always, but a lot of the time he wouldn't finish it. He would abandon it. He would show me he had this really cool iPad with uh, drawing capability on it and he'd show me like his works in progress and there were multiples like 20 30 40 paintings in progress and i wish that i had been able to convince him to finish them finish them all even if you think that it's not good enough at least it's finished i don't i was never able to convince him of that I'm not a good enough motivational speaker, I guess. I'm not a good enough cheerleader. But somebody else probably was. Uh, every once in a while, I, he will upload a painting to Instagram. And he gets a, a really good reaction from that stuff. And, and, and that has to feel good. People really like that stuff. So good. That's been the watchword with this episode, huh? I hope that you feel like it was a good episode, and I hope that some of what I've said has spoken to you. I have a Patreon, and it's always appreciated when somebody supports me on Patreon. You can donate a dollar an episode, and it really does light a fire under me to continue putting out shows in the hope Vain or not, you can judge 
that the next one will be good. I have been Rich Outfield. Good night. Greetings. This is Fake Sean Connery. This was produced under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license, which makes the episodes free to listen to, download, and spread around. But they do not belong to you. Hence, you cannot charge for them or alter them for your own. But that's little comfort when I'm trying to get some sleep and Rish is over there clicking away like a madman, cutting out ums and snorts and you knows and the profanities he screams at passing vehicles. God damn it. On behalf of phony Scotsmen everywhere, I thank you for listening. On your mark, get set, and start. If you see a faded sign on the side of the road that says 15 miles to the... Love Shack. Yeah. Yeah. The Love Shack. Yeah. Yeah. I'm headed down the Atlanta Highway. We're looking for the love getaway. I headed for the love getaway. I got me a car, it's as big as a whale, and we're heading on down to the love shack. <laughs> I've got me a Chrysler, it's each about 20, so hurry up and bring your jukebox money. The love shack is a little old place where we can get together. Yes. A love shack baby. <laughs> a love shack baby. A love shack baby love shack. A love shack baby love shack. <laughs> a love shack baby love shack. A love shack baby love shack. The sign says, Ooh. stay away fools, cause love rules. At the love shack. Uh, well, it's set way back in the middle of a field. Dust the funky old shack, and I've gotta get, get back. back. Glitter on the mattress. Yes. There's glitter on the highway. Huh. With glitter on the front porch. All right. And glitter on the highway. You said that already. Oh, the love shack is a little old place where. We can get together A love shack baby A love shack baby Love shack That's, that's where it's at. at A love shack well, that's, that's where, where it's, it's at. at Hugging and a kissing uh, Dancing and a loving mm -hmm. We're wearing next to nothing Cause Ooh. it's hot as an oven the whole shack shimmies. Shimmies? Ooh. The whole shack shimmies. Ooh. The whole shack shimmies when everybody's moving around and, and around, around and around and around. And around. Everybody's moving, everybody's grooving, baby. Folks lining up outside just to get down. Everybody's moving, everybody's grooving, baby. Funky little shack. It's a funky little shack. Yeah. Fake Sean, what will you do if this is the long version? Well, I'll cut out about 30 seconds. I've always hated the long version. 
fake Sean, do you think that the Love Shack is really a, a place we could go someday? Ha! Hop in my Chrysler! It's as big as a whale and it's about to set sail! <laughs> I've got me a car! It's each about 20! So come on and bring your jukebox money penny! The Love Shack is a little old place where we can get, get together! Love Shack Baby A Love Shack Baby The Love Shack Baby Love Shack <laughs> Love Shack Baby Love Shack That's where it's at Love Shack Baby Love Shack You only love Shack twice Bang bang bang, bang on, on the, the door, door baby, baby. Well, knock a little louder, sugar. Bang, bang, bang on the door, baby. That's funny, I can't hear you. <laughs> bang, bang, bang on the door, baby. Well, knock a little louder, sugar. Bang, bang, bang on the door, baby. <laughs> I can't hear you. Bang, bang on the door, baby. Bang, bang. On the door! Bang, bang! Yo, what? Tin roof. Rusted, I'm afraid. Love, love shack, shack, baby, love shack. Love shack, baby, love shack. That's where it's Love shack, baby, love shack. Love shack, baby, love shack. From Russia with love shack. Oh, because it's kind of like that Bond movie that you did where it was from Russia. Yes. yes, that's exactly what it is. <sighs> the noise came from the far stall. It had been a moan of some kind, though like nothing I'd ever heard outside of medical dramas. Really bad dreams. Okay, let me make it scarier then. <sighs> There you go, that's pretty good. When Jeff moved and he gave away all of his possessions, he gave me a box and it was filled with printouts of my stories. And um, I threw it all away. Oh, here's your favorite part. You ready? Ah, shit, it's the long version. 